My name is John Mark Redwine. I have the honor of being the lead pastor here at this church uh, where we have served every Sunday for the last seven years, minus a couple because of snow or COVID. And we are so honored to be celebrating our birthday with you here today. In fact, it was not just seven years ago, but 10 years ago, this time of year in March actually, that my wife and I felt called for the very first time to move to this city and start a church. And the dream was pretty simple. The call, the vision was pretty simple. To go and create a place for people who felt left behind, who felt left out, who didn't feel like they fit in, and give them a place to belong. Give them a family to be a part of. Give them a place to belong before they believe where it would be about more than just Sunday, but where they could find somebody to get vulnerable with, to go through life with, and where they could know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. And seven years later, here we are. And so we're just so honored to celebrate with you. Let me pray, and we're going to get into it today. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the blessings, God. I thank you for your faithfulness, God. I thank you for the way that you have shown yourself over and over and over again in this story, Lord. We honor you today because it is your day, the celebration of your church, your bride, and the miracles that you have done to bring us here. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, <laughs> all right, I got to take the energy down just a second or I'll never make it. Um, wow. I, eight years ago, uh, we moved here in 2015 to start the church. And so eight years ago, several families moved from California and Charleston, South Carolina to West Asheville to start a church. Some of y'all in here today, I've seen you. I'm excited to have, have some of our launch team and OGs with us here this morning. We moved here uh, in the summertime of 2015, and for nine months we met in breweries and coffee shops and parking lots, during, doing everything that we could to become a part of this wonderful city. We, we wanted to know our neighbors. We wanted to know the businesses around. We, we did things like set up a bunch of fire pits in a parking lot at night and ask people to come and hang out with us. We brought candy to all the businesses in West Asheville on Halloween and found out that they didn't want our candy real quick, but that was okay. We did everything that we could think of to be a part of this city. We served at every event. We showed up anywhere that we could. And uh, for nine months, we built a team. We built our first dream team of about 40 adults and launched the Gathering Church at Rainbow Community School in their auditorium, which was an old church of God, on February 21st, 2016. Actually, if I back up one more year and take us back nine years in the past, in 2014, uh, Pastor Robert, who was just singing up here with the cowboy hat on, and, uh, and Pastor Robbie, who was one of our, uh, our executive pastor when we started the church, we got to the city to start looking for facilities where we would be able to meet. And we had decided that we were going to start the church in West Asheville because it was growing at the time and uh, we, it, it felt like the right community for us. And so we were walking around. We realized real quick, West Asheville does not have a lot of large group meeting spaces. It's all just small houses packed in as close as they could get them in the 1920s. And so we're getting a little stressed about where we're going to meet. And we came across this decrepit church of God with the sign hanging from one little hinge there. And it had closed down years before was for sale and we had about $14 raised for the church and uh, we, we just thought, you know what, let's pray about this space. And we pray, we walked circles around it just praying that God would give us that space to start this church in. And about a year later, it had been purchased by the school that was adjacent, Rainbow Community School there. And they had fixed it up, made it look beautiful for us, got it looking all nice. And we walked into their offices and said, hey, we're a brand new church. And all we want to do is make this city and this neighborhood better. And would you let us meet here on Sundays? And they said, absolutely. Didn't charge us nearly enough money. I hope they, that they never find out how grossly undercharged we were to be in that space. And, uh, and we started our church right there on February 21st, 2016. And in the years since, we've seen God do many, many wonderful things. We've seen people who felt left behind and left out or who didn't fit in find a home. 
and find a church family. We've seen people go from curiously interested in faith to full-on followers of Jesus. We've seen people go from death to life in these halls. We've seen addictions broken, captives freed, marriages restored. We've seen the broken healed. We've also been through a lot of change as a church. We outgrew our home in West Asheville, but God provided us a new home here in the heart of South Asheville. We survived a global pandemic and lived to tell the tale. Come on, somebody. That was something. We did it. God did it. Now here we are, growing, thriving, leading people to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this space better than ever before. As the pastor of this church, along with my wife, Raelle, and our three kids, Eleanor and Dagny and Elvira, I am so grateful to all of you who have invested so much into making this dream a reality. The church is not a building or a person or a personality. It is a body. It was always made to be a body. It was never supposed to be one person standing and doing all the work on their own. It was about the different gifts that God placed in the people of God coming together in a unified mission of God. And that is what this church has always been. It has been built upon you, upon those of you who've come together and said, I will serve, I will do this, and I'm gifted here, and I can do that, and I, I, I'm good at this, and let me, let me do this here, and let me, let me serve, let me serve, let me serve. Thank you so much to everyone who's on the dream team, been on the dream team, or for all of y'all in here about to join the dream team. So grateful for all the work that you've done. It is our seventh birthday today. Seven is a, is a significant number in the Bible. It's a seventh birthday is a big deal to get to that seven year anniversary as a church. All throughout scripture, we see this number seven. It appears around 700 times throughout the pages of scripture. Usually it signifies completion. In fact, seven is the number of completion in the Bible. The world is created in seven days, and on the seventh day, God rested because he had finished his work here in creation. Jesus makes seven I am statements declaring the completion of his deity. Uh, on the cross, he makes seven statements as he dies with the final one being, it is finished. Seven appears more than 50 times in the book of Revelation, reiterating over and over again that it is this number of completion. We may have completed our seventh year as a church, but you better listen because we are not done yet. The work's not finished at the gathering. Y'all worried I was about to retire or something. We're all done here. Completed. We may have completed our seventh year, but we are not done yet, and neither is God. All we've completed is the beginning. The past is prologue. We're about to get into chapter one. There is so much more to come. There's a great story in the Bible that has a lot to do with the number seven, uses the number seven a lot, signifies great moments of completion in the story of Scripture, and it's in Joshua chapter six. And I just got to tell you that when they were putting the chapters and the verses together, somebody could have done a little bit better job. Could have been Joshua chapter seven, but it's not. It's in Joshua chapter 6, verse 2 is where we'll begin. It says, The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. If you don't know this story, there's a song about it. Joshua fights the battle of Jericho. Joshua was leading. Some of y'all need to go to Sunday school, okay? You can go find you a little white church, go to Sunday school. They're going to teach you that song. If you don't know the story, Joshua is a leader over the people of Israel at a crucial time in their history. Moses was his predecessor who led them from the prince of Egypt, you guys. Uh, 
there can be miracles. Anyway, I'm not going to sing any more in this message today. But Moses led the people from slavery and captivity in Egypt into the desert where they would wander for 40 years. And God would, they had gotten out of Egypt and out of slavery, but they still had a lot of Egypt left in them. And God would spend decades sorting their hearts out. And after this period of wilderness wandering, they came to this land of Canaan, which was the land that God had promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis and said that here in this land, I will establish you as my people. And that God gave this promised land to Abraham generations before. Now they were crossing into it. Joshua is their leader. Moses has died. They've crossed the Jordan River. And now the big obstacle, the first obstacle they faced is this city, Jericho. It's this massive walled city. It is a great big obstacle. But God promised them this place as their home, and so their victory was guaranteed, but only if they followed his battle plan. So for seven days, they marched around the city with seven priests playing instruments while the people worshiped. And then on the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times and worshiped and blasted their trumpets and gave a great big shout of praise. And the walls came tumbling down and the people of God took the city. This represented a completion of the season of wandering that they had been in for 40 years and the beginning of God delivering on this promise that he gave to Abraham about this land. Now, Gathering Church, I know that this is a story about God's deliverance of his people into the promised land. It is a specific historical story about a time in history. It's important that we know that not everything in the Bible is about me. It's a story about God. It's not a story about me. Okay, and sometimes a number is just a number. Sometimes it's just the seventh year that we've been at church. I am not saying that I think God had this story written into the Bible just for our seventh birthday today. However, <laughs> I can't help but feel like today, on our seventh anniversary as a church, it feels a little bit like we've been marching around this city for seven days. It's starting to feel a little bit like God is about to declare victory over something in this place. We've worshiped as we've marched. We've worshiped on good days and we've worshiped on bad days, the worst days. We've worshiped in this high school and in event venues and, and in other churches across our city. We worshiped at Rainbow School in West Asheville. We have worshiped in seasons of peace and we have worshiped in seasons of pain. We've walked around the walls of this city because this has been a walled city. There's been walls around the hearts of the people here, walls to keep out the goodness of God in this space, walls to keep in the disorder of spiritual discontentment in this city. And we walked them. We walked alongside one another when we were fighting to get free. And we walked aside alongside one another while we were trying to figure out our place in this world. And we've walked and we've walked and we've carried each other through moments of great tragedy. And we've walked and we've walked and we've walked with our heads held high after great victories. And now, at the end of our seventh year, it feels like the trumpets have sounded. The seventh day is completed and this part of the battle is over. And I believe that this year, New walls are going to come down. I believe victory belongs to the Lord. And it, it's, it's important that we remember that in this story, the walls come down, but that is not where it ends. There is a battle to be fought still. All the people of God, they have to go into Jericho and fight a battle, a gruesome battle. And then they go into the next city and they fight another battle. And then they go and they fight another battle. And it goes on that way for quite some time. But as long as they follow the battle plan of the Lord, every single time they are guaranteed the victory. I believe the walls are starting to come down and this part of the battle is over, but there are still battles left for us to fight in this city. But I believe that if we keep doing what God has put us here to do and following the plan that he's given us and we keep putting his presence ahead of us and worshiping and walking alongside one another, that victory is yet to come. I believe that God is bringing victory to his church in 2023. I feel victory in my bones. 
Victory for our homes, victory for our workplaces, victory in our schools, victory in our hearts. And with that victory, he is going to bring something new to this church and to this city. I love what the prophet says, Isaiah, God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43, 19, he says, behold, I am doing a new thing and now it springs forth. Don't you perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I believe God is doing new things in our church this year. Therefore, in the city that we serve, I hope that you'll choose to be a part of that alongside of us. We came here with a core value in mind. It's still on our list of core values. It's at the bottom, but it is not the least important. And that is that our city is our responsibility. That we serve this city like there is no one else coming. Like God does not have a backup plan. Like when we look around and see the brokenness in the hearts of the people alongside us, around us, in our communities, even in our homes, and we wonder when will God send somebody for them, the answer might just be that he has already sent you. Our city is our responsibility. And I believe that God is going to move in this city this year and that he's going to use this church to do it. I hope that you'll choose to be a part of it with us. And as we go forward into new things and big adventures, I want to take a couple of moments to share the vision of our church, to remind you a little bit about who we are as a church. Now, if you're here and you're new, it's your first Sunday with us. Every Sunday, we do not just get up here and, and yell a bunch of exciting vision. That is not normally our way. We teach the Bible at this church and, and what we call series, which if you're new to church, series is just what it sounds like. It's a collection of teachings along the same topic. And next week we begin a new series called Live No Lies based on the book by John Mark Comer. It's a great read. If you haven't read it, go pick it up. And we're going to spend some time talking about the different enemies that attack our hearts, the things that this culture is enthralled in right now, the many lies that we are going to battle with every single day, whether or not we know it. And we're going to build a good strategy to defeat them over the next few weeks. And then uh, we'll have Easter. And on the other side of Easter, we're doing a series called Binge the Bible, season one. We're going to do it like a Netflix show. We're going to have multiple seasons because there's 66 books in the Bible. And I didn't want to do a 66-week series. I'm too ADHD for that. I get bored. And so the way that this series is going to work is each week I'm going to teach on the, basically the heart and the message of a different book of the Bible. Beginning in Genesis and in season one, we're going to go all the way through 2 Samuel. And we're going to learn what these books of the Bible are all about. My goal is very simple. I just want to familiarize, familiarize I don't know if I got that word right or not, all of us with the story of Scripture. Scripture tells a beautiful story. And I, I want us to be able to understand what that is together. And so I can't wait to start that series with you. That's what we're doing in the spring here at the Gathering Church. I hope you'll be a part of it. Today, we're going to share just some of our vision, who we are. If you're new here, this is really the best Sunday to join us because you're, you're going through step one right now is what we call it. You're going to receive the vision of the Gathering Church. I put it into three statements that I think sum up our vision very well. I'm beginning with number one. We will make spiritual formation a simple, accessible uh, pathway for anyone who wants to walk it. We will make spiritual formation a simple and accessible pathway for anyone who wants to walk it. Here's what I believe. That inside of each person uh, who has ever been born on this planet is this desire to know God. That you were created with his very breath inside of you. His spirit is inside of you. And from the moment you come into this world, that spirit is longing to be united with his spirit. You are searching for relationship with him all of your life. It's evident in, in the, every walk of the world how desperate people are to know their maker. Not just to know about him. Uh, not just that we have questions about the universe, but rather we weren't just created to know about God. We were created for with a relational need for God. Our goal as a church is to help people fill that need. That's what spiritual formation means. 
And this spiritual formation might sound like a churchy word, but it really is just the best way to describe our goal, which is that you might be fully formed spiritually. We want to walk you down this basic, simple, easy pathway to become more like Jesus and in turn have a more intimate relationship with the God who made you. Spiritual formation means going on the journey from being spiritually disconnected from God to being in full relationship with him and practicing his ways, ultimately living your life the fullest way imaginable in the way that you were created to live it. And at the gathering, we follow a simple pathway to get there. And it begins with the very first step, which is that you might just know God. It really starts right there, that you might know God. The world that we live in conditions us to believe that most relationships are transactional. What does God want from me? If I'm going to enter into a relationship with God, what do I have to do to get there? What's the checklist? What are, what are the behaviors that I have to implement before I can know God, before I can be in relationship with him? I don't know how many people I've had a conversation with sharing the gospel. And they say, well, you know, I'd love to go to church and, and check, check that box, you know, and get right with God. But I just got too many things going on in my life. I got to sort out first. I got to sort, you know, you don't know me all the way. I got to sort some things out before I get in a relationship with God. And I just, every time I take them and I shake them like this and I say, you've got it backwards. You don't get your heart right so that you can know God. Once you know God, then you will have what it takes to get your heart right. We want you to understand that from the moment you come into this place. We work hard as a church to do things like put people in the parking lot who are excited to see you so that you know that that's God's heart when you walk into his house, no matter where you've just come from. He wants to know you and he wants to have a relationship with you. There is no limit to his, we believe there's this limit to his forgiveness or that there's this, this method that we have to follow to earn his love or to be cleansed before we can enter his presence. But that's not what the Bible teaches. John 3.16 tells us otherwise. It says, for God so loved the world. Not that he loved a part of the world. Not that he loved a few different people in the world. For God so loved the whole world, the whole world, that he gave his only son, that whoever, whoever's a key word here, whoever means even you, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And it goes on and says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So many of us, we, we've heard that passage, the most prolific passage in scripture. We, we, it exists in our psyche as a culture. Most people who don't know anything else about the Bible can at least misquote part of that verse for you. Even Steve Austin has his version of that verse. It's a wrestling from the 90s joke. Over your heads. Okay. John 3, 16 and 17, they declare that God doesn't come into this world to condemn us. We act like he did. Like he came here with condemnation on his mind. But the Bible says it was just the opposite, that he came that you might actually have freedom, not condemnation. And that's not the only good news. He doesn't just want to forgive us and save us through no effort on our part. He wants to have a real relationship with us. Another passage that you might hear a lot in church is Revelation 3.20. It says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, says Jesus. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And a lot of times I think we hear that verse and, you know, I know for a long time I just pictured like a tiny Jesus standing at my heart and he wanted to get in there and just live there inside my heart. And I have this little bitty Jesus in my heart, maybe forever. It doesn't really work like that. In fact, the image that Revelation gives when Jesus shares this is not the image of let me just come and sit in there and be stagnant. Rather, it's a relational image because he says that he wants to come in and eat with you. 
He uses relational language intentionally. He wants to be at your table where life happens, where conversation happens. I've got three little kids. My table is really messy, you guys. And he wants to come in and be a part of that mess with you. He desires relationship with you. God wants us to know him, and he wants to be known by us. He is a relational God, and it is the first step. It's not something that comes after you've been in church for a while. The very first step is that you might know God and know him. At this church, we... we, that is how the lens that we look through every time we're thinking about how we do Sunday mornings. We want this to be the place where you can come in and no matter who you are, feel wanted and welcome and seen and experience the gospel message of Jesus Christ, not just through teaching, but through his people, through every conversation that you have until the moment you leave this campus. We want you to know God. Second thing, is that once you do know God, then you have the capacity and the desire to find freedom. We want you to find freedom. Jesus is giving his uh, mission statement, reading Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4. In the beginning of that passage, it says this. It says, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captive and release from darkness for the prisoners. Every one of us enters into a relationship with God in need of freedom. We're captive to sin and habit and behaviors and trauma and pain. Once we know God, then we can begin on this slow work of finding freedom. His desire for you is for you to be free for you to have a peace in your heart that surpasses understanding that comes from this process of freedom. We do it around dinner tables and in relationship with God's people. We do it in counseling and we do it through vulnerability. The work of finding freedom is unique and different for every single person. Maybe for you, you you enter into a relationship with Jesus and there is this issue of sin and guilt that is standing in your way from really experiencing God. And All you need to do is the thing you've never done before, which is actually take your mask off and get vulnerable and reveal to somebody who you really are. Because it says in James that when we confess our sins one to another, we can be healed. There is a healing in that conversation. And having somebody walk alongside you and help you get free. Maybe for you, that's what you require. It is never a quick process by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, a lot of times in Christian culture, we put it in our minds that we we enter into a relationship with Jesus. And the next day, we wake up with a halo. We're looking good. We're feeling good. We're the good Christian person. The truth is messier than that. We are a messy, broken people and the work of the Holy Spirit and the work that Jesus does in our hearts is a work of healing and it is a slow work for some of us it's going to take years for some of us there's so much brokenness and trauma inside that we cannot find our way out on our own you need counseling you need somebody to help you see your way forward and start moving in that direction For some of us, we need all of it. And there are things that you will be finding freedom from for years to come. I'm still working on finding freedom. I've still got issues in my heart, sin, trauma, things that exist inside of me that I want freedom from and that God is moving me along that pathway towards it. But there is always this block when you first enter into a relationship with Jesus that makes it like you can't even see. There's this sin, there's this shame, there's this guilt, there's these wrong beliefs, these wrong attitudes, that it's, you can't even see what God has in mind for you. You can't even see what he sees when he looks at you, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. In the story in Acts of Paul converting his life to Jesus, he begins a guy named Saul. And he becomes Paul through this process of finding freedom. And 
Paul actually meets Jesus on a road and he's blinded by him. And he's blinded, all of a sudden he has these scales over his eyes. And he can't see with these scales over his eyes. He's got to be led into this town that he was going to. He was on his way to persecute Christians. He was a part of a group of uh, Pharisees, which was a Jewish sect that really wanted to stop Christianity from spreading by any means necessary. And Paul was one of their most violent members. And Paul enters into this relationship with Jesus, but he can't see anything. He's blind. So he comes into this city and there is a man there who is faithfully following God. And Paul comes into relationship with him. And Paul is used to being in charge. He's wealthy. He's important. People listen when he talks. He's never had to humble himself before anybody. But all of a sudden, he can't even find the bathroom. He's got to be led there. He's got to completely humble himself and get vulnerable in front of this stranger so that he can see again. And after a few days of this, the scales fall off of his eyeballs and he can see. And once he can see, God begins to use him in a mighty way. He brings the gospel of Jesus across Asia, into Rome, into places that maybe it never would have been able to go without this tool of God finding freedom first. And so for many of us, we're going to enter into this relationship with Jesus where we know God and it's awesome that we get to know him right away, but we are blind and we cannot see. And the only way we are ever going to have those scales removed from our eyes is to humble ourselves and to get vulnerable and to allow somebody else to guide us for a time. That is our goal for you as a church. We want to help you find freedom so that you can see and discover your purpose. In Ephesians chapter 1, there's this beautiful passage. I like the message version. If you don't know what the message is, it's a paraphrase. It's a, it's a long sermon, essentially, where a pastor named Eugene Peterson took the Bible and preached it in the written word, in language, for us to be able to understand it and grasp it easier. It's a resource. I love the message. It's not a translation of the Bible. It's a tool. And so in the message, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, it says, I ask... Ask the God of our master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear. So he wants you to know God, know him personally. Then he wants your eyes to be clear. He wants those scales to fall off. Why? Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see and see exactly what it is he is calling you to do and grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life that he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust in him. God created you with a purpose. And he wants you to find freedom so that you can see what that is. We all search in this life for meaning. We feel like we were made for more. We feel like God has something in mind for us or that something does, even if we don't have a name for the one who made us. And the truth is you were created with a purpose. You didn't just happen by accident. You're not just drifting through this life. You were crafted and created by an artist who made you the way that you are so that you could serve his kingdom so that you could glorify God and serve others in a way that only you can. He made you with a specific and special purpose in mind, and he wants you to be able to uncover that purpose, to discover that purpose, and know what it is, so that you can make a difference. And this is God's dream for the church, that we would know him and we would have real personal relationship with him, that we would have him at our table, dine with him, that we would know him and he would know us. And then that we would find freedom and have real, true freedom, have the cages and the chains that are binding us up broken so that we could live free and have peace and joy and satisfaction in this life. And then once we have found that freedom, he wants you to discover that you were made to be a part of something bigger. It's why we push the dream team at this church. It's not just about us getting volunteers. It's about you discovering your purpose. 
when you get out there, because God did make a plan to save the world. Jesus Christ came and he died for our sins and he resurrected again. But the whole time he was on earth, he was setting up the frame for, framework for what we call the church. And the church is the hope of the world. And the church is not about what Peter would do or what Paul would do or what John would do. It was about all the people they would lead coming together as the body of Christ. Each of them understanding and living in their specific purpose and serving their cities until every soul was found. That's what we've been called to do. So when we urge you to go serve coffee, it's not that we think that your only purpose in life is to make and serve coffee. Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe you're the best coffee maker of all time, and that is your purpose. But maybe your purpose is less about making the coffee and more about making somebody feel wanted and welcome and seen. More about the warm cup that you place in somebody's hand while you invite them into this place as though they were a part of your family. And when you come alongside that work, wherever it is, and serve the church, you are with us in making a difference in this city that has eternal consequences. That's what we've been called here to do. Now, as a church, we work hard to help you navigate this simple pathway to a full life. This year, we added another tool to help you on this path to spiritual formation, and that tool is called Practicing the Way. It's a year-long small group with a monthly large group teaching where we will learn the practice of Jesus, uh, one practice of Jesus per month in teaching, and then live it out in community in small groups on the weeks in between. Practices are spiritual disciplines. If you've been in the church a long time, maybe you've heard the term spiritual disciplines. We call them practices. Here's what they are. Jesus said that my yoke is easy and and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His followers would have understood that term as something that rabbis would say. They would refer to their teachings and the ways that their followers were called to live as a yoke. A yoke, I'm not going to do the whole thing of what a yoke is, but in this context, it means if you do what I am teaching you to do, live the way that I live and follow my teachings, it is gonna make your life more full and it's gonna make it easier for you to follow me. That is what the practices of Jesus are all about. They are about learning to do what Jesus did, live the way that he taught, so that life gets easier for us to follow him. And so the practicing the way of Jesus is really just a simple experiment where we're spending one month on each practice. In February, we're doing Sabbath and we're just learning how to rest well. And we're learning not just in a teaching environment, but also as a community, as a small group. And as we go forward next month, we're going to do prayer. And we're going to work on our prayer life and learn how to commune with God in prayer and learn what it looks like to communicate with God. And we're going to do it alongside other people. We're just going to keep moving through these practices throughout the year so that we can help you grow closer to him so that you can have an easier pathway to know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. Because our goal as a church is that we would have spiritual formation as a simple and accessible pathway for anyone who wants to walk it. Now, number two, and I promise the rest are much shorter. That was the passion piece. However, this one is just as important. We will live in the kind of community that we were made to experience. I believe that when God created you, he created you with two basic needs. One was a need for him deep in your soul. And the other is a need for relationship. We see this played out all around us. We see every way that we're seeking it in the wrong ways. We see every person who can't find it and is just dying because of it. People need to be known. They need to be in community. We all do. It is wired into us. In 2020, when we were isolated from one another, this part of our wiring became more obvious than ever. Many of us still throw up on sight of a Zoom call. We long for community. And community, and the idea of it, is exactly what the church was founded on. 
In Acts chapter 2, it describes the church at its inception. It says, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is what we want life to look like at the gathering. People sharing life, sharing meals, sharing their spiritual formation together. We began our church with a slogan that we just printed on some sweatshirts for our dream team this year, more than Sunday, because that's what the church is supposed to be. It's not meant to be something that we come in and watch once a week or online. It's not meant to be something that we're just a little bit a part of, but rather we want you to build lifelong friends here, people that you can be vulnerable with because our core values say that vulnerability is our strength. Our belief is that church shouldn't just be an activity you do once a week. Rather, it should be a central point of community that pours into your whole week. A place for you to build relationships and find care from people you get through life together alongside. And you can build that kind of community here, but you have to be intentional with it. Join the dream team and make friends that you serve alongside. Go join us. Today's the last day to sign up for small groups. Sign up for a small group. You can do one of our practicing the way groups, or you can do any other group and just meet some people and start to form some relationships. Attend first Wednesday. It kicks off. The, it's the first Wednesday in March, and then going all the way through until November, where we go to Go to Blue Ghost Brewery and just hang out together with no agenda. It's just a touch point for community. We are trying everything we can to give you the opportunity to meet people that you can build community with, but it's important that you know I cannot build community for you because it is intentional work. It requires initiative. One of our core values is that initiative is our obligation. And we believe we got to take initiative to form relationships. Maybe you're like me. I don't know that I've ever had a friend uh, that didn't pursue me. I only have friends if they keep calling me back after I've ignored them for three or four times. I'm just not good at it. I, I, I've just had friends that have happened to me. Otherwise, I would be at home alone wondering why I don't have any friends. I'm bad at it. It's hard for me to, to follow up. I love to be, I love when a plan gets canceled, somebody. Yes. Oh, my Lord. Oh, so sorry to hear you're feeling sick. I guess I'll just stay home and watch Yellowstone tonight. Yes! <laughs> Get so excited about it. If you want to have real community, you're going to have to go and build it. You are going to have to go and ask somebody for their phone number. I know it's so awkward. You know, you feel like a teenager asking for them digits. And it's just another grown man. You know, <laughs> it's weird. Go do it. Go to a first Wednesday, get on the dream team and meet somebody, go to a small group, go to practicing the way, connect with somebody and then say, can I have your phone number? Because I'd love to hang out sometime. And then you got to do what's called the follow up. You're going to have to, they're going to, they're going to receive that. And they're going to say yes, because they're being polite. They're never going to call you. You're going to have to reach out to them and follow up and say, would you like to hang out sometime? And then when they say yes, you're going to have to make sure you set a time and put it on the calendar or you will never actually do that thing. And then once you set it on the calendar, you cannot cancel those plans. Introverts, say it with me. You cannot cancel those plans. You got to go and do it. Because you need community. You need somebody that you can get vulnerable with. You need somebody who actually knows you. You want to find healing. You need somebody to confess your sins to. You need somebody to walk through your worst days with. You need somebody to call when it's time to celebrate. And I know that you can build community here because I've done it. My best friends I met here at this church. Maybe you think, well, that's easy. You're the pastor. Honestly, it's harder when you're the pastor. People think you're weird. You've got to find people that don't think you're weird. It's tough when you're weird. <laughs> you can do this. And we want to be the kind of church that gives you every possible opportunity for you to do it and has a culture where it is normal. Get out there and build some community. Last thing is this. 
we will strive for better. And here's the vision for today. You know, I think it's customary to get up and tell you what we're going to do in the future. And honestly, this is it for us, is that we are going to strive for better. There's a story that I heard once. I love it. I'll share it with you now. It's about Chick-fil-A. Who doesn't love Chick-fil-A? It's the most Christian of all the chickens. I'm more of a Bojangles guy myself, but anyways, the people of Chick-fil-A in the 1990s were locked in a battle for territory with a, a restaurant called Boston Market. Big Boston Market fans in here, anybody there? No, I didn't think so. And so anyways, Boston Market was taking over the market share. It was really eating into Chick-fil-A's business in the 1990s. So they had an emergency strategy session where all their officers got together for multiple days talking about how they would get bigger. And they argued over and over different ways, different movements, different marketing strategies. How are we going to get bigger? How are we going to get bigger? How are we going to outpace the Boston market? Finally, after three or four days, Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, he had been silent, hadn't said a word, had just been listening. And finally, after a few days, he pounded his fist on the table and stood up and he said, I am so tired of listening to all of you talk about how we are going to get bigger when you should be talking about how we're going to be getting better. Because if we get better, people are going to demand that we get bigger. And so instead of working about different marketing strategies, let's make sure we have the cleanest restaurants with an environment that people want to be in. Let's work on training our employees in such a way that it has the best customer service of any other restaurant in our category. Let's create a culture of welcoming where people are pleased to serve you. It's my pleasure, somebody. And let us outpace the competition in getting better and we will get bigger. And just in case you don't know how that story went, last year, Boston Market closed 45 stores, including the one in Asheville. Last year, Chick-fil-A added 104 stores. It works. And so as a church, I can tell you that we are not having strategy sessions about how to get bigger. It is the last thing we're worried about. We are just trying to figure out how to get better. How to get better in every way. How to get better at serving our community. How to get better at leading people closer to Jesus. How to get better at delivering on the promises that we make. How to get better at being true to our word. We want to be a better version of us, and so we are always tinkering with our systems and our models and what we do as a church, willing to throw out or change things that aren't working and always willing to admit when we're wrong. If you love this church exactly the way that it is, you've got to know that at some point it may change. The models, they will change. Don't resist that change. Become a part of it. We're never going to change the vision of who we are, but we will change the models and how we do it in constant search of how we can get better. And we do that because we want you to become a better version of you. Second Peter 3.8 says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter uses the same language that Paul uses. Philippians chapter one says, believing in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, it's never finished. We keep growing closer to him. We keep carrying on forward. We keep trying to get better and better and better. I'm not finished. I am trying to get better as a leader, better as a pastor, better as a follower of Jesus. And we just wanna take you on that journey as well to keep getting better, to pursue it until Jesus comes back and the work is finished. That's who we are at the gathering and what we are committed to. This is our plans for the future. And we are excited about the future. I'm, I'm not kidding. I believe that some walls are coming down for us this year. We're closer than we've ever been to getting a permanent facility. We've got uh, more in our savings account than we've ever had before, and we're continuing to feed it so that when the time is right, we are ready to act on a permanent home. We're putting into place 
more things that will help us be permanent in this city. Better bylaws, business systems. We have a legacy team, elders, and executive director that are in place to help us make the decisions that will solidify our permanence as a church in this community, a church that will long outlive you and me. And all of this is happening because we are committed to continually getting better. And so my charge to you is to come with us into this next season with greater commitment than ever before. Go all in with us. Be a part of what God is doing here. Go all in financially. Give if you've never given before. Follow the principle of the first and give from the very first part of your budget. See what happens. Now here's, if you give 10%, God is not gonna double it and give you 20%. That's just not how it works. In fact, you will have 10% less money. It's just how math works. But what will happen is that your heart and your priorities will be reordered in the correct position. You'll have greater peace than you had before. You'll have greater understanding of your place in this world and where you should find your security than ever before. And so find a place to start and start. Get on board, start giving. Be a part of what this church is doing as we go forward. Join the dream team. Get into a position where you are serving because you were made to serve. Discover your purpose. Get in a small group and build real community. Form relationships that are lasting and that build you up. Do these things because these are the things that Jesus called us to do to live the best life we could live. Learn his practices in practicing the way and start to live them out. And just keep growing with us. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, guess what? Even on a Vision Sunday, it is the right time for you to enter into relationship with him, to be known by him. And I think I've explained it enough today. And so if you're ready to start that process, it just begins with a commitment, a prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed, just pray this with me, Heavenly Father. I know that I need you. Forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own, Lord. I invite you into my heart today. I need you today. I want you at my table today. I believe in you. And so all that I am, I am yours from this moment on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.